Good afternoon and welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Um, I must tell you, I, I was going to you know, introduce myself and everything, and this kind gentleman, though, gave me several promotions. He asked me, was I the congresswoman? Was I the chief of staff? Was I the political director? I said, keep going, I'll be president. <laughs> but I'm just Carla Hayden, CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And I want to thank you for joining us for a very special edition of our Writers Live at the Library Series. We are very honored to have not one, but two members of the United States Congress. Please, let that just We're very honored to have the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, discuss her book, Renegade for Peace and Justice. Now, you probably know that she's been a longtime vocal proponent in Congress who promotes policies that foster international peace, security, and human rights. And that's why I wasn't surprised when I read this week that she was one of the first members of Congress who expressed her condolences and solidarity with the people of Haiti after the devastating earthquake in that country. Thank you, Congressman Lee. Because this afternoon, again, we're truly honored to have a great speaker with us and to introduce her, another great speaker, who is someone, as the saying goes, almost needs no introduction because of his national and international stature. His strong advocacy for human rights, education, and the environment have made him the go-to person in the national media. And locally, though he is a person who we consider more than just a supporter of the city and state, here at the Pratt, we consider him one of our favorite people and a dear friend. So to you and to us, he doesn't need any introduction. So please welcome back to the Pratt, Congressman Elijah Cummings. Good afternoon, everyone. Come on, we can do better than that. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to thank, I want to thank Dr. Hayden for her, her tremendous leadership. Um, I was telling my good friend, Congresswoman Lee, that we are so blessed here in Baltimore to have uh, a woman who uh, at one time served as the president of the largest library association in the world just a few years ago. She's been named Librarian of the Year. She's been uh, been named by Ms. Magazine as one of the, what do they call you, Carla? <laughs> feisty fighter for freedom and uh and not only that but uh i was also telling um congresswoman lee that carla hayden has uh been one of the leaders in our country with regard to taking advantage of federal programs to bring computers into uh, our library and i don't know if anybody follows the smithsonian uh, but you know the Smithsonian has a club, and you have to, uh, they, they charge $20, $30 uh, for the very things that we have here at the library for free. I don't know if you all know that. And so we are very, very fortunate. They, they have authors come in and lectures, and, and I, very rarely do they charge anything less than $30, $20, But we have it for free because of Carla Hayden and her phenomenal staff. And so... Carla, thank you so very much. Give her a hand, please. She's, she's so modest, you have to, you know, I have to pump her up and just remind her how great she is. Um, let me just uh, say that I am so delighted uh, 
to have uh, a woman who I, I just have a tremendous amount of admiration for Barbara Lee. When I um, served as uh, chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, we were not in power back then. Uh, we did not have the majority of the uh, Congress, and I remember that uh, over and over again, Barbara Lee, well, we would have these lectures at, in the evening where we'd go on the floor, they call special orders, and we'd have the floor for an hour. And I had to get people to, to fill in that hour, I mean, to talk to the American people. And the one person that I could always depend on, it might be 9 o'clock at night, 10, 11 o'clock at night, was Barbara Lee. Um, and I will never forget that because she consistently stood up for the things that she believed in. And she continues to do that today. She was the chief of staff for uh, Congressman uh, Ron Dellums from 1975 to 1987. She did not come to the Congress without a lot of experience because she, like many of us, served in the state legislature. She served in the California Assembly from 1990 to 1996 and then uh, served in the Senate from 1996 to 1998. And in 1998, uh, the people of the 9th District of the great state of California elected her to represent them in the Congress of the United States of America. And, of course, um, a huge part of her district uh, encompasses uh, Oakland. Um, you know, but she's become known for so many things. And, you know, one of my friends, Stephen Carter, who wrote the book entitled Integrity, uh, he said, true leaders are defined by their integrity. He said, first of all, they determine uh, what is, between what is right and what is wrong. And they make a determination to do what they believe is right. But he said they do something else. And they said they act on what is right, even to their own peril. Even to their own peril. And he goes on to say that one of the most difficult things of acting upon what is right is withstanding the criticism until the rest of the people catch up. And if you really think about it, that's what Barbara Lee, that's the person that she is. And, you know, a lot of people uh, think about Barbara from the standpoint of uh, her votes. Uh, keep in mind that uh, a while back when we were addressing the war right after 9-11, uh, it was Barbara Lee who cast a single vote by herself against the war. And... That, I tell you, was a, a monumental uh, act because when you have the entire Congress and you're the lone one, um, that says a lot. And you can give her a hand. Give her a hand. And so a lot of people, and I was shocked uh, when I heard Barbara, and I've heard her speak many times now, um, she came up in a military family. And so she knows about the military. And I think it's, uh, it's, it says a lot about a person when they're able to look at a broad spectrum of views to have been a part of that kind of family, at, but yet and still stand up and say the things that she said back there in 2001 when she said, let us not become the evil that we deplore. Uh, there are members of my staff... There are members, the members of my staff that have those words hanging up uh, over their desk, and, and that, that, that is so, so very, very uh, Barbara. Um, today, Congressman Lee chairs the Congressional Black Caucus, and 
is the former co-chair of our Congressional Progressive Caucus. Uh, she is a leader in our struggles against domestic violence uh, and the plague of HIV-AIDS. And she has gained national recognition as a leader in our efforts to redress an imbalance in our foreign policy, stressing diplomatic and multilateral initiatives and recognizing the limitations, both practical and moral, in our use of military force. And I could go on and on, um, but the one thing that you will find, and I, I don't want to take anything away from her discussion, but I've often said that it is the, the, the people who seem to make the most contributions to our society are those that have been able to take their difficulties, to take their problems, turn them around, and use them as a passport to help other people. That is Barbara Lee. Uh, she has never forgotten from when she came. I will never forget. And it's amazing how you have moments with people and you don't, they don't know it's a moment, and sometimes you don't know it's a critical moment. Um, but later on when you think about it, and this is the last critical moment I had with Barbara Lee, we were on the floor of the House um, when we were voting on the health bill in um, a, few, a month or so ago, and um, we had the Stupac Amendment. And Barbara came up to me, and she was so upset that that amendment had, had, uh, had passed, because basically what the amendment does is it basically erodes Roe versus Wade in every way. But she, she almost had tears in her eyes, and then she talked about her own life and her experience with abortion and what, you know, what it meant to her, to her to make sure that women had the right to choose. And, you know, no matter what you say, and I believe this in the depths of my heart, even though people may disagree with you, if they know that you're coming from your heart and they know that you're coming from your convictions and they know that you are standing for what you truly, truly believe in, it's kind of hard for them to be mad at you. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, and I do consider her a friend, uh, from the 9th District of California, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Good afternoon. Let me um, say to uh, my colleague and most importantly my friend Congressman Cummins, thank you so much for that very um, humbling introduction, but thank you uh, for your friendship most importantly. And also uh, I have to just say to your constituents, uh, thank you so much for continuing to uh, send Congressman Cummins to Congress because give, give him a round of applause. I'm going to tell you what I know about it because it's, you know, it's so seldom that you have a member of Congress that one can rely on not only uh, in terms of an in, his intellect uh, and his understanding of the body politic and how to get the job done, but also continues to have a big heart and a huge spirit which continues to soar in, in anything and everything that he does. And it's also very unusual to have a colleague that you could totally trust, totally trust. And I say that, uh, I don't say that lightly, because there have been many, many times when uh, I've had to go to a couple of members and, and talk and share something, or they 
come to me and you know there are few people that are your comrades <laughs> and Elijah is one of my comrades and so I just want to thank you for this today Elijah thank you for everything and yeah you know you mentioned those critical moments I and mean, let me just mention another critical moment I don't know if you remember this and I think I write about that moment in my book uh, that day, we were send, sitting or standing at, in the cloakroom. I was eating a tuna sandwich and drinking a ginger ale. It was, it was September the, the 14th. It was raining outside, and we were in pain and, and anguish about what had happened on 9-11. And Elijah was the only member I was talking to about that. I said, Elijah, you know, this is something. I said, but you know, this resolution they're bringing forward, you know, is going to create more violence and more chaos, and I don't know what to do. I just can't vote for that. And most members are, come on now, come on. But Elijah said, yeah, I hear you. You know, you have to do what you feel is right. And I said, you know, are you going to that memorial service? He said, no, nah, I don't know. I said, I don't think I'm going to go. I said, I think I'm going to stay here and kind of pray through this, struggle through this. And we talked a lot about it. And Elijah, you remember I said at the last minute, I said, nah, I think I'm going to go. Remember? And I ran out and ran down to the bus. And I was the last person on the bus. And I went to the memorial service. And I'm really happy that the Spirit moved me to go because it was at that moment during that service, uh, you know, in praying for those whose lives were lost and in thinking about the families and the people who um, were mourning uh, and in trying to figure out what to do. I, I knew then that for me personally, there was no way I was going to give any president a blank check to use force to go to war forever, uh, giving away our authority. And it was at that moment I decided that I was not going to vote for that resolution. But it was Elijah who helped me struggle through that. And he was the last person that I talked to before I came back from that memorial service and went to the floor. And I, I, I'm sure I wrote about that in, in one of the chapters, Elijah. So I just want to thank you, because that was a critical moment for me. And I could have talked to any member of Congress who would have been like, come on, Barbara, what's wrong with you? Uh, but he was really there for me. So thank you very much, Elijah. <laughs> and to Dr. Where's Dr. Hayden Carla and Vivian and all of the staff, at this beautiful museum, thank you so much for uh, keeping hope alive at this museum for not only the residents of Baltimore and Maryland, but for everyone. It is just a wonderful museum. I've learned so much just since I've been here, uh, and I intend to come back and take, take a tour. It's just uh, exquisite. And to see so many of you supporting the, this uh, library, excuse me, this, it is a museum and a library, really, <laughs> uh, is, is remarkable. I've learned a lot about uh, the history of Baltimore and the history of uh, African Americans in Baltimore and the remarkable movements that took place here uh, over the years. But in the last few years, I've learned even more as a result of uh, Congressman Cummings. But also, um, and I think my uncle's going to be here a little later, I don't know, the Franklins, uh, Dr. Carl Franklin, Dr. Mary Franklin, who formerly taught at Morgan State, and now they went to New Orleans, they came back. So I have, you know, a connection to Baltimore. Also, Bill, my honey here, Bill Haney, who lives in Baltimore, he's taken me on the grand tour of Baltimore, and he goes to libraries almost three or four times a week. So, <laughs> so thank you, honey. <laughs> 
So I've learned a lot about Baltimore and its rich history and its beauty. And just tell you, you, you all are truly blessed, truly blessed. Let me uh, take a moment to introduce my agent, Diane Nine from, from Washington, D.C., who's here with me and helping me with the book, uh, who's helped me <laughs> muddle through this whole process, which she knows probably more than most. It's not my most favorite <laughs> thing to do, but... She and um, Helen Thomas, you know, who's a brilliant correspondent, 89 now, and Helen really uh, befriended me and encouraged me to write this book because she told me if I didn't do it, someone else would. <laughs> so I better go out and write mine real quick. But writing a memoir is, is a very um, difficult job. Uh, and I say that as an elected official, first of all, because you do not want to have to write about stuff in your personal life. And, you know, and I'm a very private person. And in fact, to this day, I don't even have on my bio whether I have children, grandchildren, married, single, what my religion is. Because, you know, when you're a public person, that zone of privacy is really important. And so, you know, 99.9% .9 of what you do is open to public scrutiny. And, you know, you accept that when you run for office. But that little piece that you, that's still private, you value. And so for me to write a memoir, uh, it, I had to do this kicking and screaming because uh, it was very difficult because I wanted to, I said, okay, so I'll write this, but I wanted it to be a bit more policy-oriented. You know, and, and I started writing, and, and okay, so I was able to write about uh, my work around HIV and AIDS, Africa, Haiti, which has been for many, many years. Uh, domestic violence and you know all the issues that we deal with each and every day housing public assistance all of those I was in the state legislature for seven and a half years worked for Ron Dellums as Elijah said for 11 years and so I thought I could get away with writing about my public work but of course Diane and others kept saying wait a minute um, why you know people are gonna want to know why are you so adamant on Roe versus Wade, or domestic violence. Yeah, you know, we know, you, you know, it's good to write about carrying the violence, which I did. I carried the Violence Against Women Act for the state of California. I worked on and got signed into law by a Republican governor, maybe eight to ten bills on domestic violence. So I wrote about domestic violence, why we have to address that in a very objective way, why domestic violence is bad for our children. It, it's... It's horrible for those who are the, the perpetrators of violence and those who are, of course, the victims. And so I had to write about that. But I kept, they kept kicking it back to saying, but why, why, why? I said, well, fine, I said, okay, you have to be for real because the reader's you know, gonna be able to see through that. So I had to write about my experiences being a battered woman, which was horrible, but I had to write, I had to give a glimpse of what that was like. That was hard to do. Congressman Cummins mentioned Roe versus Wade. Well, I remember the days of back alley abortions, you know, and I know that black women, Latinas, women who didn't have money died behind back alley abortions as teenagers because the right to choose, the right to privacy, the right to have an abortion was not in law. And so I had, unfortunately, to write about my experience having to go to Mexico, which was a terrible thing as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, because I couldn't you know, as a young girl like that, no comprehensive sex ed in school. I mean, you know, young people go through a lot if they don't know what's going on. So I wrote a little bit about that, and I'm adamant about upholding and maintaining Roe versus Wade. And I am a Christian. And let me tell you, I write about faith in my book also, because I was raised as a Catholic. 
so you know what this is like for me. And yeah, I'm a Baptist now, but I wrote about why I think that uh, I have to support uh, government not being in the lives of women and men and allowing people to make their own personal decisions based on their faith, based on if they have a faith, based on their position and their family's advice, and based on what they want to choose to do. And that's just the way it should be, I think. And so I'm going to continue to be um, an advocate for women's rights and, and for the right to privacy. That's just the way it is. And... <laughs> So I wrote about that, but that was a very, chapter six is really, it was a hard chapter to write. I cried the whole time I wrote that chapter. Just know, chapter six is very difficult. Another issue that I had to deal with, which I never wanted to have to deal with, although I got involved in politics as a result of Shirley Chisholm, when Shirley ran for president. I was a young student at Mills College, I write about this, in Oakland, California, two little kids. But I was on public assistance, because I was coming out of a situation where I was a battered woman, you know, I wanted to go to college. It was, that's all I want to do is take care of my little kids and go to school. And so uh, I ended up having to go on welfare, food stamps, Medi-Cal. So I know that scene very well. Uh, and, and I never told my children that. And I never told anyone, but Shirley Chisholm knew because I told her. And, and in her book, she writes about Barbara Lee being on welfare, wasn't, you know, running around with those two little kids. I said, oh, why'd you do that? I don't want my kids to know this. Because it was embarrassing for me, but that was what I, you know, like so many young women now, you don't want to be on public assistance. You know, you're trying to muddle through so you can get a, a degree or some job training so you can get a job and take care of your kids, right? That's what it's about. Well, when I was in the California legislature, and so I started writing about that, and look, well, I never would vote for a cut in public assistance for the disabled, for senior citizens, for women, for men. I'd hold up the budget. I am not voting for any cuts. And so I wrote a lot about why, you know, this, but I, I had to, again, going back to this memoir, you have to be authentic. So I had to write about why. And it stems from I know what goes on and what that means, that little check, just to get you that bridge over troubled waters, just to help you get through that. And so as a public official, no way would I support any policy that's going to affect the least of these. And, and so in writing this, and I'm sharing these three or four little stories, it, it's, it's a book about, you know, my public life, but the backstories about some of the issues that I had to deal with personally, uh, publicly. Chapter one is a very interesting chapter now in this day and time, because it's about, a little bit about color and my birth. I was born in um, El Paso, Texas. My mother... Uh, went to, my mother has green eyes and she's fair, okay. She went to the hospital when she was in labor and she needed a C-section. They wouldn't let her in the hospital because they knew she was black, but, you know, and this was a Catholic hospital, Hotel Duke Hospital, so they would not let her in the hospital and she needed a C-section. And my mother didn't know what to do. My grandmother was there or came there uh, and said, look, you have got to let her in. This is my daughter. Now, my grandmother was the product of a rape. Her father, my grandfather's Irish, okay, he, this color thing, right? So she looked white. And so the doctors and the admitting staff 
kind of looked at my grandmother and said, well, wait a minute, you know, she kind of looks like her, but she's a little darker, but she's still fair, and she's got green eyes. So my, my grandmother raised Cain. She raised Cain. So finally they got my mother. She got my grandmother, got my mother to get the hospital to admit her. Now, they admitted her, but they left her, and I write about this in Chapter 1. They left her uh, on what my mother still calls, she's 85 years old now, a gurney in the hall. And they would not attend to her. Now, you know, when you need a C-section, you need a C-section, right? And you better go on and get ready for this because it could be too late. So finally, uh, my grandmother, you know, the doctor finally got there maybe eight or ten hours later and said, oh, yeah, 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 this is my patient, and I, I did deliver, uh, you know, Willie, my grandmother, you know, so this, I know this is her daughter. I mean, it, it was really horrible. And so by then, though, they, they rushed her in, and it was too late for the C-section. They couldn't do a C-section because she was too far along, and she was delirious, and she was uh, almost un unconscious, and so my mother still can recall this story very vividly. So they got her in the operating room, and they said, nah, we don't know what we're going to do. She can't have a C-section. It's too late. And so the doctors decided that they would try to do a natural birth because it was too late, but they couldn't quite do it. So they had to uh, deliver me using forceps, and I had this scar among, on my eye up until a few years ago. So that's my birth. I mean, I literally, and so some people, and as I was writing this, I said, why people always ask me how I do this or why I do that, or, you know, because all my life I've been a fighter. I said, well, you know, in thinking about that, I guess, because I came into this world just fighting, first of all, to survive, <laughs> to live, you know, because I almost didn't make it. And then as I grew up, I realized what racism was about. And what, and my mother couldn't even get into the hospital with health care, the lack of health care would do. And based on my mother being black, I almost didn't get here. And so it's my duty and my responsibility, and I realize this is a child, that I better fight for peace and justice for everyone throughout my life. And so that's how I got here. Thank you very much. Thank you.